got to vent a little bit this week on uh, Donald Trump, North Korea, DACA, and a couple other things that are going on. Uh, got some, some, little, few highlights from, from Delaware local news. And recapping an event I went to this weekend and why I think these type of events are important. More on that coming up. Plus a little Star Wars talk too. All this and more coming up. Get ready, tighten your seatbelts. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the FritzCast. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. How are y'all doing? Yet again, coming at you on a Tuesday, because work, as a routine now, freezes me Sunday night into Monday. It is becoming an, an annoying little ritual that, uh, I mean, I have to suck it up and deal with it. This is the job that I took. But there's a there's an underlying precedence with it all. Uh, I get that I'm in law enforcement, and I get that some things are out of our hands. Uh, there's a lot out of our hands, actually. Uh, I, I've talked about it time and again, about incarceration and crime and everybody, you know. It's weird being the libertarian guy who, you know, oh, he works in a prison though, and yeah, I've had a, I've had the, these arguments and these conversations with uh, with libertarian people and uh, limited government people. I've had these arguments before where you get somebody who's really hardcore and says that, you know incarceration is a filthy business and that. You know, there's some people who won't even give give me the time of day because I work in a prison because I'm because I am a correctional personnel because oh that's a dirty business that's how you make your money why don't you get a real job you know why don't you get a job that doesn't involve enslaving people and and it's it's in a very extreme rhetorical argument that hinges on the fact that society is is bent to just screw over everybody and incarcerate everybody, which I don't think it is. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's not problems with the laws and all that. And But at the end of the day, either way, this is the profession that I'm in uh, to make a living for right now. And there's some things that I don't support. I don't support locking people up for drug addiction. Um, if you... If you I think there's a fine line, too. There's a difference between somebody who's just using drugs. Okay, you're using drugs, whatever. There's a difference between that and a difference between, well, you're using drugs and you're breaking into random strangers' houses to scrap up whatever change you can find in their home to pay for drugs. Or you're tearing through other people's houses in hopes that they have drugs so that you may steal drugs. At at that point, it's not just a drug problem that you have. It is a public crime problem. You know, you're committing crimes against people. You're violating other people's property. That's bad. I'm a big property rights guy. If it's your property, 
that it, uh, that all ties into freedom and and uh, everything that we stand for is property. A lot of it does boil back down to property. And if you own it and it's yours, it's your property. Nobody should be screwing around with it, government or otherwise. But I digress. I'm getting off topic, and I don't want to do that. I know last week's episode was all... It was... I was so scatterbrained. And that's what happened. This is building into it, all right? So, yeah, I'm a correctional professional. Right now in Delaware, we're in some dire times. We're changing our department up uh, significantly. In the events of February 1st. Now... There's a lot I could say about February 1st, uh, the Delaware Department of Corrections and the state of Delaware, because as of right now, as we speak, no charges have been filed uh, in the murder of uh, Sergeant Stephen Floyd. So we, we, we have no charges filed. Uh, major changes to the department. They've changed the training academy, but uh, now the staffing shortage shortages are, are felt hardcore. Uh, and I know some of it is selfish because there's people downstate who work downstate at that Vaughn prison, James T. Vaughn, who probably get froze onto the next shift. So they get froze, forced into another eight-hour shift. They probably get it three times a week. So that's three overtimes they're being forced to work, three different, three separate days where they work 16 hours straight and eight hours in a prison is is tough enough on somebody's psyche regardless of if something happens or not all right if it's a routine day and nothing happens you're still there's still an underlying stress to working in a prison environment because you are locked up with everybody that's locked up and some of the people that are locked up uh no matter what side you're trying to argue about uh, criminal justice reform, uh, some of the people locked up are not the best of characters. All right, some some people in my prison, actually a good handful of people in my prison, have charges of rape, murder, strong armed robbery, you know, things like that, and. Some of it is so ingrained into their heads that they don't they don't know anything else, and it's it's sad. Sometimes dealing with offenders like I, anybody that is locked up, at the end of the day, they're still a human being. All right, yes, they're still a human being, and I pay them that respect. I don't care what they're there for because I could be dealing with that guy who got locked up for possession of drugs, whom I I agree shouldn't be there. Just, just for mere possession of drugs. But then I have the guy that killed a man while possessing drugs with an illegal firearm. This, this man murdered a man. Or you're looking at the guy who raped a little girl or a little boy, a child. Somebody under the age of, you know, and I don't think the age play really matters in this. Uh, but sometimes it's 12-year-olds, sometimes it's 4-year-olds. All right, now th that person... The person that does that, it's hard to look at them and pay them the respects of a human being. It really is. Try it out sometime because as a normal person on the street, you don't deal with that. You don't deal with the possibility. It probably doesn't run through your head. The person that you're crossing paths with, you know, oh, did this guy rape a child? Probably doesn't cross your head because you expect the person who raped a child to be in jail 
rotting away. Quote, unquote. That's everybody's favorite line. Lock them up, throw away the key, let them rot. Uh, which does not happen in correctional facilities. I hope everybody realizes that. You get locked up and you're a ward of the state, so the state has to take care of you. So, you know, you need health care and you can't pay for it. You're getting it done up anyway. Yeah, we say we're charging your account or whatever, but you can't afford it. So you still get the care. You get the care, period, the end. Which is, I, I could go in and talking about how communal health care in a facility like that where nobody has to pay is atrocious. But uh, we're not, we're not going to touch that. We're not going to talk about that. All different types of people locked up. Some of them deservingly, some of them not. Because the system is very, very far from perfect. So at Delaware, we're dealing with staffing shortages. So that means that people end up getting frozen and end up working multiple overtimes. Downstate, like I said, they get hit pretty hard. They probably get hit three times a week. So I should stop complaining about getting hit once a week. Everybody should stop complaining about getting hit once a week from where I work. But when it becomes a precedent, so every week, everybody in that building can expect to be frozen onto the next shift. And really, it's only two shifts that are feeling it. That'd be the 4 to midnight and the midnight to 8 shift. The 8 to 4 shift really doesn't get it like that. Not upstate, downstate, different story, I don't know. When that becomes routine, it just be it, it just becomes some numbing, annoying aspect of work, and and it is. I'm I'm annoyed now because every week I know going in, it's probably Sunday into Monday. I'm getting froze, and I don't come to terms with it. It's not like a, you know, it's not just something I accept. I'm like, why is it? And not just me, but everybody. Why is it that everybody has to come in and now expect to be kept for the next shift? Because of the situation that uh, the state and the department created for itself, dug itself a hole, and it you know it, it it's something like the you know it's like you, you throw Mentos in a Diet Coke bottle, the pressure builds up and it explodes, and that's exactly what happened with the DOC. They were told time and again from line staff, from from offenders, line staff. Uh, all the way through, you know, we have staffing shortages. We have prison overcrowding. We are not looking at uh, we're not looking at people's charges for classification. We're not uh, looking at security outputs and security risks and who we're mixing with whom. And it all boiled up and it blew up with the death of Sergeant Stephen Floyd. It all came to a head and blew up. All right, now Delaware has done these periodic, uh, periodic press releases. Sorry, I blanked on the word there. Periodic press releases about uh, the situation. They've had several investigations go on. The investigations were to generate a list of things that need to be done for the Delaware Department of Corrections, which is it's odd. It mimics a list that was put out in two thousand four. After um, the attorney was taken hostage and raped multiple times by an inmate serving a life sentence and then some for rape. 
a lot of the list mimics that 2004 list, which was uh, ignored for the most part. It was put in there, and then you get some people in there. You get some pencil pushers, some number movers, and you know, fudge up the paperwork and make it look good on paper. And then you keep on going because, you know, hey, nothing like that has happened since then. We keep on going. Nothing's happening. Nothing major like that has happened. And then you get this mindset of, well, nothing major like that will ever happen again. And the department's fine because our people that we put in there are saying, yeah, it's fine. Like, we're, like it could be better, but we're making do. It bred a very bad environment for everybody, not just the staff, but for the people incarcerated. And I know some people out there are listening and saying, who cares about those incarcerated? Uh, I believe that we have to, to a degree, especially if we're not going through the reforms that we should be going through. Yes, marijuana legalization is slowly becoming a thing. Decriminalization of it is, is more so the name rather than legalization right now. But legalization is probably going to come in a wave over the next, I'll say, five to ten years. And most people locked up now aren't people locked up for having, you know, an ounce of marijuana or smoking marijuana. Most people that are locked up aren't, aren't, isn't just because of marijuana anymore. It's a nice, cushy little argument that you can throw out there, but it's not sticking much anymore. The other drugs, it's a highly debatable thing. Uh, I, I believe that people need to get recovery more against the drugs than anything because some people are roped into it through bad medical practices from their doctors, getting prescribed medication, not being weaned off of it properly, getting addicted to things like painkillers. Painkillers are probably one of the most things that people are addicted to out there, period. And that's a legal drug, all right? And then uh, top it all off, working in a prison, I have learned that one of the worst drugs that you can withdraw off of is alcohol, and that's the legal drug. Alcohol withdrawal can kill somebody, whereas withdrawal from nearly any other drug isn't going to kill somebody, but alcohol will. Yet that's the legal one. That's the one that people can go out and consume alcohol all they want. DUIs can continue at the rate that they are, but alcohol will not will never be banned ever again because they did prohibition and it didn't work. It was nasty and they repealed it and now alcohol is commonplace. Pretty soon marijuana will be commonplace and I to me they're one and the same. In fact, I would argue that marijuana is less dangerous than alcohol. All right, and I haven't done I haven't done marijuana in any form. Smoking, ingesting, brownies, you know, whatever. I haven't done it. I do drink. I, I I like to have an occasional pint of whiskey. But that's something that I do. And, and to my knowledge, at least anyway, I haven't done anything crazy while drinking. I drink responsibly. Uh, I say that because you have to do, you do have to be super strict in your own principles of well, if I'm going to drink, I'm not going to drive, so what's my game plan, what's my plan B, that type of thing. You have to be responsible. And that is up to individuals, not other people. Get it? Oh, boy. Back back to the point, Fritz. Back to the point. So, this freezing thing is so commonplace, and there's there's no end in sight that the DOC can provide, and it's becoming it becomes very frustrating. And it's taught me a thing or two about employees. I mean, 
I get... I'm in a government service job. Which... Let's face it, they tend to suck. I'll, I'll say it outright. It's public service. It tends to suck. Um, it's not meant to be a cushy job. And it's not a cushy job. And I don't expect it to be a cushy job. But... At a certain degree... I'm like... Just one week, can I come in here and you not freeze me on the 12 to 8 so I don't stay up for a 24-hour period? And I know some people are going to be like, well, just just adjust your schedule, man. You know it's coming. You know it's coming, so just adjust your schedule. And I don't feel like it. I just don't feel like it because I have a life outside of prison, you know? You have to have a life outside of whatever it is that you do for a living. Even if you love what you do for a living, you still need a break from it, correct? You still need personal me time. You know what 16-hour shifts do? They suck away personal me time. It's a day that I'm not going to go work out or be healthy in general. It's a day that I'm not going to get to sleep, and I'm not going to make up the sleep either. Making up the sleep is nearly impossible. I've seen how this happened, because the whole thing is that I know it's not I know it's not like my staff lieutenant or my captain's abusing me or anything like that. It's just, it's fate right now. And the academy's getting stricter, and so we're not just giving people a pass-through or walking them through. We expect a higher-quality candidate. We just got pay increases. We need to raise the bar and standards and all that, which is very important. It's just frustrating grinding through everything because the employee morale... Uh, it's a prison. The morale at a baseline is going to be, you know, meh to okay, whatever. You know, that's that's the baseline. When you're getting froze all the time and you can't get a day off, like just, you know, some people can just take a day off of work and it's not a big deal. Taking a day off in corrections is like the end of the world for corrections, it seems sometimes. Oh, you need a day off? We need you here. What are you talking about? Can't give you a day off. Can't give you your birthday off. Can't give you your wife's birthday off. Can't give you your anniversary off. You can take your three slotted vacation weeks whenever they're set, and then anything else that you're asking for is just too much. That type of thing. If the, the point where if I was running a business somewhere, I already know, thanks to working in the DOC, I already know some of the steps to take to make my employee base feel appreciated, liked, and boost the morale, which... If I ever come up with an idea for a business, God save me. I'm going to make that business a great place for employees to work. As an individual, the government's not going to make me do it. Uh, Nobody else is going to make me do it. It's going to be me wanting the best employees out there. So I've learned a lot from that. And that was a freaking tangent. I almost dropped the F-bomb. It's being tired and not caring anymore. That's what happens. You get tired and you don't care anymore. And it's not good for somebody's morale. So this is another therapeutic muse. So because of that, that was you know that was yesterday. All right, and that was Sunday. We're, we're on a new day now. One of the things that me and my wife did over the weekend, and I kind of had to twist her arm into doing it because I am a nerd that likes historical stuff. Uh, I drug her up to Brandywine Valley uh, in Pennsylvania where they had the Battle of the Brandywine 2017 reenactment, which was awesome. There was hundreds of reenactors for both the British forces and the colonial forces. There was a there was a 
general Washington living history actor. There was a Lafayette living history actor. There was a, a, a tense setup. They were camping out. These guys that were participating were actually doing this over the weekend. They were camping there for the weekend, doing things authentically, like building fires and cooking food authentically for the 1700s period. All in the 1700s garb, the uniforms, carrying around uh, flintlock muskets. These are things that I think are awesome, which I know makes me a nerd, and I'm totally cool with it. Totally cool with it. I posted up uh, on on Twitter, Instagram, and on my private Facebook. I'll probably, after this episode, upload some for you all to see. Uh, but the reenactment in question was for the Battle of the Brandywine, which took place on uh, September 11th, 1777. So this marked the uh, what, 240th, 240th anniversary of the battle. The battle itself was a huge British victory. Uh, the United States forces at that time, the strength was uh, 14,600 men to Britain's 15... 1,500 men and 47 guns. Uh, the casualties, uh, the Americans, we lost uh, 1,300, or the t- uh, 1,300 total casualties. Uh, 300 killed, 600 wounded, 400 captured. The, uh, the Brits faced 93 killed, 488 wounded, and 6 missing for a total of 587. A total mass casualty for the United States. It actually is what helped uh, that that battle kind of stalled Britain's advance into Philadelphia. It gave time for the Continental Congress to move out. It gave time for supply chains for the United States Army to be moved out. And they pretty much let the British walk in unopposed to Philadelphia. But the day that battle was the longest single-day battle of the American Revolution and had the most troops fighting than any other battle of the American Revolution. The fighting lasted a a total of 11 hours that day. And... Uh, one of the significant things about this, uh, ch- you know, Battle of Brandywine, Chad's Ford, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, uh, 240th anniversary we just hit. One of the, one of the things is that this uh, reenactment is one of the very, very few reenactments of any historical warfare that actually takes place on the battlefield. Where it happened. Most of the most of the reenactments that you see happening, most of the ones that you witness happening, if you ever go to one, like Gettysburg, for example. Gettysburg, the reenactments are not done on the battlefield. They're done on farmlands near the battlefield. Same with uh, uh, several other places. There's usually a no, there's usually just this precedence, I guess, of not fighting on these battlefields. Because at the end of the day, these are hallowed grounds. 
a lot of people a lot of a lot of people love the Civil War era. I'm I have been a Civil War enthusiast to the extreme in the past year or so. Probably because of the political scope of what's going on today in America. So I've had a great interest in reading up on that, but not not only that, but just the the, the way that battle and fighting was back then, completely different from today and how it works today. There's just something different about the people of the past. I'm starting to appeal more to the American Revolution and and the Battle of Brandywine. This is something that's like in my backyard and yet I rarely go to it. I rarely go and check it out. This was one of those times where I twist my wife's arm, we go, we watch this amazing reenactment with hundreds of reenactors seeing a large epic scale battle taking place in front of our eyes. Yes, it's a, you know, a simulation or whatever, but it's a living history thing. And watching these columns of men and these muskets and this this warfare go on is truly amazing. It it sucked me back because uh, I was there with a crowd of people. There's hundreds of people watching this. And yet I'm ignoring everybody around me and I'm picturing myself, you know, how would I feel if I was on that battlefield holding that musket staring down the British Redcoats, the probably at that time the finest army ever to grace the earth. There was no army more powerful, no army better trained, no army could stop that army. And yet here we are, Americans, a ragtag group of uh, militiamen, farmers with pitchforks. I believe the line from the Patriot is, farmers with pitchforks. Standing up against the British Army. Out of precedence. Out of an idea framed in the Declaration of Independence and the American Constitution. It's amazing. And looking at some of the pictures of the battlefield, like, you know, this this is one of the things that truly gets me. Um, One of the things that you hear in these arguments over, like, Confederate monuments whether they're on a battlefield or not or in the public square or not because people have extended it and said they shouldn't even be on battlefields. These these trophies to losers, you know, all that. People wiping out and removing any any attachment to our past history. One of the markers that's at the uh, Birmingham Meeting House in Brandywine Valley, it, and all it is is a rock. It's a little rock that's carved... <laughs> In there, and it says, "In memories of those who fell in the Battle of the Brandywine, September 11, 1777." Back of this, in common. Back of this, in a common grave, lay those who fell in this vicinity, marked by the Brandywine Valley Farmers Club, 1920. It's a mass grave of British and American. Soldiers, and there's an American flag posted, and there's a British flag posted. I guess different, I guess because it was a different time and a different war and all that, everybody's talking about how, how can you build a statue to Robert E. Lee, for example, who wasn't so pro-slavery and made his convictions known why he was not taking the reins of the United States Federal Army. Because he said it would be 
invading his home in Virginia. People say, why? how could you build a statue to a traitor when, at the end of the day, we all were traitors to the United Kingdom? Now, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to argue a case for the South or Confederate monuments or anything. I'm just saying, I find it special that there's this little rock sitting somewhere near Birmingham Meeting House. That's a mass grave of British and American soldiers, and nobody bats an eye. Nobody would sit there and say those bloody British, they shouldn't be buried there with our fallen American comrades. We say nothing. And there's plenty of mass graves from the Civil War that have both Confederate and Union soldiers and all that, because many people fought and died in that war. It was the bloodiest war in American history. But that's beside the point. It was an amazing reenactment. I'll post some pictures or some links. Uh, I'll give you access to some of the videos that I took because it's really cool. It's really cool to see it. Uh, and then if you know, I have to implore if you ever get the opportunity to go and see it, definitely go and see it. Uh, it's hard to find Revolutionary War reenactors and reenactors of that living history time period because the the American obsession is the Civil War time. That's the, that has the most people invested in it versus the Revolutionary War. You don't really see reenactments of Revolutionary War battles, and that was really, that was something cool and unique to see. And those guys have very detailed costumes, the, the guys that were portraying the British guys, very high-class, uh, top-notch-looking uniforms and outfits. And watching the whole thing break down was amazing. It makes me want to study the military tactics of that time, the, Napoleon, the Napoleonic tactics that were used in that kind of warfare. Very, very cool and interesting. Now, in the political landscape going on right now, we have a lot of different things going on. Hillary Clinton just wrote a book called What Happened. Hey, what happened? <laughs> I'm sorry. It was That's a horrible title for a book. And I, I'm going to digress here. I haven't read it. I don't have intentions of reading it. If somebody gets me a copy, eh, I'll read it. I'll add it to my list of things to read. Uh, because I am starting to dive into different political uh, commentaries, I guess you could call it. Uh, I'm not interested in reading Hillary Clinton's book. I don't want to buy it because here's the thing. All right, the election was nearly a goddamn year ago now. I don't know if people realize that. November coming up, the election will have been a year ago. And here we are still talking about it. I don't know why we're talking about it. I don't know why. Hillary Clinton. All right, look, I have a lot of criticism for Hillary Clinton. I do. All right. That nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfect. And I have a lot of criticism for Hillary Clinton. I have a lot of reasons for not voting for Hillary Clinton. But before you get in my face, I didn't vote for the buffoon that we have now. Okay? Wasn't me. And and we've had the argument a dozen times. I love Time Hop. Have you ever used Time Hop, that little app? It goes back and it archives and it digs into your Facebook and sees what you post. So last year, like, every week I get the little postings from my last year's uh you know, podcast episode, which was focusing on debates or this or that, you know, whatever. So I get to relive it like every day. It's great. Um, beside that. So I don't like Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I don't. 
I don't like the fact that she wrote a book about how she lost the election. Uh, because to me, that's uh, here you go. You have somebody who lost the election, uh, fairly unfairly. Eh, what? Well, yeah, yeah. The popular vote thing that's coming under scrutiny now. Everybody's looking at uh, the electoral college and how it works out, and there's people constantly debating those aspects. All right, I get that. Uh, there's the Russia angle, which you know we f- we we know Russia did something. We just don't know what Russia did. They didn't change votes. They didn't do any of that. They were information digging and all that. There's some shady shit going on there. We know that too. All right, so. Hillary Clinton is the only person I know who could lose an election, write a book about it, and a dozen, uh, almost like a cult following, just like Donald Trump has a cult following. There's a cult following of Clinton who rushed out and supported and, and bought through money at this book. Which, the only reason she wrote the book is because you can make money off of it. That's the only reason there is a What Happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. That's it. That's the only reason that somebody writes a book. Of this nature is to make money. That's what I don't get about it. I, I don't see any noble cause in writing this book, other than money grab, dollar signs, and the opportunity to remain relevant in the spotlight or to put yourself in the spotlight. I get people are upset that she didn't win. I agree that Donald Trump said some very bad things and probably should have kept his big mouth shut and probably should have cost him the election yet somehow he did not get cost the election but I'm not interested in picking up a book of a list of excuses of how Hillary Clinton lost the election I'm really not and that part of that boils down to the fact that I believe we had two candidates that sucked they both bunch of sucks that ever sucked so will I read what happened I don't know I I doubt it but again there could be a a method of acquiring a copy and reading through it to see to, to get Hillary Clinton's take on her epic loss of the presidency or or maybe I guess her epic win of the popular vote but not win because it's electoral votes that matter Okay, a lot of people have been having fun with the title because it's you could have a lot of fun. Uh, people were photoshopping Donald Trump's picture on it, which was funny. I'm sorry, I lost it when I saw that picture. It said "What happened?" and instead of Hillary Rodden Clinton written on the bottom, it was just a picture of Donald Trump with his thumb up. Had to laugh. Had to laugh at it. I had to laugh at the meme that posted up. You know, the book that answered a question and that asked a question and answered it all in one page. <laughs> Had to laugh at it. Sorry. I, I Maybe it's because I try to look on the bright side of life. I don't know. I don't know. I hope I'm not being mean. I don't mean to be mean and mean-spirited. But speaking of mean-spirited, let's talk about, let's talk about Bernie Sanders for a minute because he is the man that cannot die. He cannot die. He refuses to die until I spread health care to every American, period. Bernie Sanders is pushing his Medicare or Medicaid. I forget. I get the two mixed up all the time. For all, Bill. Medicare for all. It must be Medicare for all. Medicare for all, Bill. 
his big, you know, his big single, you know, his step towards socialized healthcare and medicine and, you know, yada, yada, yada. CNN posted up something because they keep asking Bernie Sanders, did you like they, they keep going back to this? I don't know what it is, if the news is glutton for punishment or if it's just like Donald Trump gets boring after a while. So they have to spice things up. So they asked him. You know, hey, do, do you think he did enough for for Hillary Clinton or whatever? He goes, I I campaigned heavily for uh, for Hillary Clinton. I did. Uh, you know, I did. I, I I campaigned my heart out because Donald Trump would have been a terrible choice for uh for president of the United States. Would have been terrible. Should have gone with Clinton. However, I the, the, this is in reviewing some of my past podcast episodes. I am surprised at how how well I called the shots. With it, I really am surprised with myself. I'm not trying to give myself a rub. I'm not trying to make myself feel good about it. I am genuinely surprised at how right I was. Because Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders isn't that great of a guy either. You know, everybody talk, everybody wants to talk about all the progressive lefties want to talk about how awesome Bernie Sanders is. This was this was Bernie Sanders up until the Democratic National Convention. All Bernie Sanders did was criticize Hillary Clinton severely. All right, and he said he was going to fight on the floor of the DNC with his feel the burn movement people, and all those you know, however many thousands of people were psyched. They were talking about how Bernie was going to crush the system from within. And what happened on the DNC floor? He he hyped this up. He talked about how he was going to fight, and then the first thing he does is he stands up and he says, "I uh, I cast my full vote of confidence in Secretary Clinton." And he goes in the campaign and he shills for Clinton for the rest of the election until she loses. When she loses the election, Bernie Sanders immediately goes back to you should have voted for me. Yeah, she was a terrible candidate. These are actual quotes from him. And this is the catch-22 of, I, I believe, the Democratic Party the liberal side of politics, and especially the progressive side of politics. Progressives never liked Hillary Clinton because she's not in that hardcore progressive wing that they all are. She actually probably comes off fairly moderate. Sad to say. So they weren't behind her. They were behind Byrne. They listened to Byrne. Byrne can do no wrong. Now Burns being asked, you know, oh, did you do enough? Yeah, I did enough. Well, you, 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 you fought tooth and nail up into the DNC, folded, gave it to her, shilled for her, campaigned for her. Then she lost, and you 180 again and talk about how she was a terrible candidate, and now you're saying, well, I did what I could, though. I did what I could. I did, you know, I did, I did what I could. You gave me this to work with, and, uh, you know, it's not, it wasn't very good, but I tried to do what I could do. Now I'm just trying, you know, Medicare for all. Socialized health care. I'm not, we're not going to the health care debate right now. I've done several episodes where I talked about that. And guess what? Guess, guess what? It's not going away. There will be several more episodes where we talk about health care. It'll be awesome. Or not. I don't know. I just believe that the Medicare for all bill is this magic wand of the government that's coming to fix everything. It's coming to fix, it's coming to cure cancer. And it's coming to cure all disease and ailments. And it's going to take care of everybody and everybody's going to be fine. And I think that pipe dream politics like that. Pipe dream politics is what we're going to call it. 
I believe it's dangerous because you're just trying to sell the pipe dream to the American people. You're trying to have them cling to every word you say because you're shilling them out hope and promises and comfort. Things that life cannot guarantee. And I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous when you have that many people so at your feet. This is... Things like this make me fear that we're going back to what we fought against. We're building up our own gods, if you will. We're building up our own monarchy again. We're building up the government is great and should be praised and we should be bowing at the feet of it because if we do, the government will come in and take care of things for us. If we just vote for these specific people, they'll pass through the legislation that makes it so we don't have to worry about our health care. We don't have to worry about those expenses. We're going to be covered because everybody's going to be covered. And everybody's going to be fine. People will magically stop dying of disease. And people will have the best quality care ever because the government will be managing it. Maybe it works in other systems. I know people are going to point out other systems in the world. And here's the, here's the problem with the other systems of the world. They're not America. Almost all the ones that people cite have less people, healthier people, and also people who are, by the way, taxed at like 60-70% of their earnings. So their earnings actually aren't their earnings. It's the government taking it and managing their lives for them. Because who wants to manage their life? That takes too much time and effort. You know, I you know I, I definitely can't make my own healthcare choices to the best of my ability. And what do I know? Because I'm just I'm busy being whipped from one government end to the next government end. What do I know? So yeah, no, it's not time for healthcare debates or anything like that. Not today. It's coming though. And I'm working on some dissenting opinions to be guests so we can have a discussion of things. Because I think it's important, even if I don't agree with somebody, even if I don't agree with an aspect, it's, it's important for somebody to voice their opinion on it and to analyze it and to look at it and see what's going on with it. Now, North Korea is taking the spotlight at the U.N., a lot of UN meetings are going on now over it. Uh, in fact, Vladimir Putin, everybody's favorite Russian uh, person ever, has some comments in regards to the North Korea thing. I'm reading this from The Hill now. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Wednesday said sanction are not the answer to solving North Korea nuclear problem, instead of urging dialogue. The AP had reported his comments came after Putin and South Korean President Moon Jae-in met in Russia. North Korea over the weekend said it successfully tested. Now, mind you, this is a couple weeks back. This is like uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, North Korea said it successfully tested a miniaturized hydrogen bomb that can be placed on an intercontinental, uh, intercontinental ballistic missile, a move that caused international condemnation. Putin said he told Moon that Russia believes North Korea's test is flagrantly violates international law and that the Kremlin condemns Pyongyang's recent test, according to the AP. 
Uh, after the meeting, Putin, in comments carried on television, pushed for a joint Russia-China approach to combating North Korea's aggression, saying it, quote, offers a genuine way to defuse the tensions and a step-by-step settlement. China's ambassador to the United Nations, to the United Nations, stations, wow, see, I'm combining words and shit, in an emergency meeting of the Security Council on Monday, urged a proposal from his country in Russia whereby North Korea would halt its nuclear and missile activities in exchange for the suspension of U.S.-South Korean military exercises, a move in which U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley said was insulting and called for the strongest measures possible in response to North Korea. North Korea, of course, has fired off a couple different missiles, a lot of them over Japan lately, because Japan, of course, is right there. Um, Just a couple days ago, North Korea fired another ballistic missile over Japan. It was on Friday, escalating tensions in the region right after it conducted a nuclear test earlier this month. Uh, South Korea's military said the missile fired from Pyongyang flew about 2,300 miles before landing in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, Japan's broadcaster reported the missile flew over northern Japan and landed in the ocean about 1,200 miles away of Hokkaido. Uh, U.S. Pacific Command said an initial assessment indicated that North Korea had launched an intermediate-range ballistic missile. U.S. officials confirm that the missile flew over northern Japan before landing in the Pacific east of the country, adding they were analyzing the launch. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that President Trump had been briefed on the missiles launched by his chief of staff, John Kelly. It's the second such launch that Korea has done firing missiles over Japan. So we have a serious situation going on with North Korea that they they seemingly continue to escalate what it is they're doing. And I don't know if it's for attention. I don't know if it's to actually conduct a strike. Who knows? Uh, Trump is getting ready to address the UN this very day. In fact, this very Tuesday. In fact, can't really talk about that, though, because it hasn't happened yet. However, I will stress and urge this. I don't know if you guys realize that every time Trump makes some kind of big formal address to things like the United Nations or when he went to Saudi Arabia or whatever, he he's very much a teleprompt reader and it goes by rather boringly in a typical political fashion. So I'm not worried about it unless he goes off script. Because when he goes off script, it's it's whatever. And this boils back to something that I said earlier leading into this episode. Donald Trump, one of the things uh, I listen to John Ziegler a lot. He's actually one of the better political analysis, I believe, uh, that's out there. And you have to go digging around to find his podcast, which should tell you something. John Ziegler keeps mentioning that, Don, that Donald Trump is quickly becoming an Arnold Schwarzenegger type of person where... You know, he, he Donald Trump wasn't a Republican coming in. He didn't have Republican solutions. He didn't have conservative leanings or whatever. Donald Trump is striking up deals with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Okay, Donald Trump spews one thing for the attention and for the fact that it distracts people is what I'm starting to see. 
like this DACA business. They're already talking about how he's backing down from it, and the stanks and the, the the steps that he was taking with DACA weren't even severe. People were blowing up because of the rhetoric. Oh, these are the dreamers. How can you do this to them? And the the thing that Trump pushed forward literally was like a six month review, and wasn't even slamming the gavel and saying throw them on ships and send them back home. None of that was in there. So DACA's up in the air on what's happening with it. The health care thing was a complete and abysmal failure, despite the fact that Lindsey Graham and one other person are reintroducing Obamacare repeal, which is going to be very hard to do. It's another thing that Ziegler talks about. Scaling back Obamacare or the ACA is kind of hard because of how it went into law, how people expect certain things out of it now. You should never should have given the government that level of control over health care to begin with. That type of thing. Because it's hard to scale back. You almost never give back something that you give up to the government. It's a fact. You have Trump with the, like the transgender military ban. Nothing has happened with it so far. It's been at a stalled standstill. Nothing has happened with it. But it will get brought up. Or DACA will get brought up. Or Trump will bring up the wall. Or Trump will bring up this. Anything, any little distraction. But it's because Trump can't, he can't remain irrelevant for even one day of the week. If he's not in the news or something about him is in the news, I believe he has to put the outreach out there just to see his name in the papers. That type of thing. So who knows where we're going with that. We got a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks probably going to be stressing to talk about but it is what it is but that's going to do it for me today so guys thanks for listening like this share this do what you do on social media share it with at least one friend that's all i ask you can hit me up on twitter at fritzqs on facebook.com slash the fritzcast fritzcast.wordpress.com for the blog and fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com for all your other contact needs. Love you, miss you, and I'll see you all next week.